around and find so many of you there because you love to celebrate with each other. We don't only celebrate together, we mourn together. Many of us have gone through rough patches and the thing that has sustained us beyond our belief in God is that there's people walking through it with you. They're not giving you trite, religious, Christian answers that you already know and don't need. They're saying, you know what? I don't get it, but I'm here. I'll help. I'll do what I can. I got to to take part in Lauren Pascoe's dad's funeral. And it was like on a weekday in the middle of the day. And don't you know, there are people from Hope who have made their way to be there with Lauren and her family. Uh, There they are sitting in the pew with me. We filled a whole pew right on a Thursday. And I'm thinking, this is what it means to be a family. And it's such a privilege for me to be your pastor. But like I said earlier, it's beyond that. It's my greatest privilege to be part of this family. We celebrate and we mourn together. Beyond that, we care for each other. Church, you are so good at caring for each other. Many of you have even learned to be cared for, and we're making great progress in that together, right, church? And so when, when little Chester was born a few months ago, their meals were covered for weeks because you said, we're going to do that. And when someone has needed help with yard work, you've been there. You've loaded lawnmowers and you've driven them to places. You've done things. I even remember when Eric Young needed help shoveling his roof and Dale and Chris made their way over to shovel this roof, right? You guys do that and it's not because, oh, I guess I should. It's because that's what it means to be together as a family. You care for each other and you do it so well. And I love being part of this family. And you pray for each other. If I could somehow collect all of the text message prayers and encouragements that have flown through this family and put them on the screen, it would roll for forever. You're faithful in praying for each other, not because, well, that's what Christians do, but because you honestly care. And you encourage one another. And it is a beautiful thing to be part of. We are a family. And that's exactly what we want to be. And so I am thrilled at the milestones we're achieving together as a family. That being said, uh, as I thought over the last really month about what God wanted me to say in this short time this morning, I couldn't get past Jesus' letter in Revelation to the church at Sardis. And it's this obscure little letter that many people have never read and What I want to say in leading into it is this. It is good and right for us to be a family. But going along with that, we have to be very careful that we don't get too comfortable together, that we forget what God has called us together to do. Is that fair, church? And so there's this, this, this town called Sardis, and it's this fascinating town, and you can read the history on it on your own. But it, it was the, the higher part of the town was built up on the side of this cliff, and it was considered the most defensible city in all of the known world. That it could not be conquered, that it could not be overwhelmed by anything or anyone, no matter the size of their army, because they could never get to them. And as time went on, they got very comfortable in their situation. And Cyrus and his Persian army came to lay siege on the town 
And the city went on its own way, doing its own thing, because who could conquer Sardis? And one by one, the men of the army of Persia slithered up one section of the wall that was left unguarded because the town got comfortable and began to occupy the town. And over time, overthrew the town of Sardis, one by one, slowly and methodically. See, the people at Sardis had traded mission for comfort. And they had turned inward instead of looking outward. And in so doing, they had loved a very good thing, but forgotten what the very good thing was brought together to accomplish. And it's in that historical vein that John, in his vision on the island of Patmos, records Jesus' letter to the church in the town of Sardis. This, of course, happening later after this, but drawing on the historical realities of what had happened in Sardis. Listen to this. Revelation chapter 3. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and turn to it. Now you might say, we've been celebrating all these wonderful things, and why would you bring a somber note to us? I am not suggesting to you that we will be under attack. I'm not suggesting to you that an army is going to slither up walls that we may or may not have. What I am saying to you is that we need to understand that we are at a crucial crossroads for our church right now. We can either say we've arrived and we're a church and turn inward and get really comfortable, or we can say, look what God has done, let's keep doing it. You see it, church? The truth is that things begin to die long before they're dead. And we need to think like that. We need to be people who right now are given to what God has called us to. He says to the church at Sardis, you look, it looks great, everything looks great in the city, but I, I got news for you. You've turned inward, and just in the same way that your city was overcome by a conquering army, so too your church doesn't have long to go. And his cure to that is fascinating to me. Right? He says, remember what you heard and hold fast to it. Now what do you think he's talking about? You've been, you've been in hope long enough to know that the answer is the gospel, right? It's always the gospel. That's what he heard. That's how the church started, right? They'd heard the gospel and they turned to when the church was formed. And he's saying, so what do you need to do to, to get better? Do you need to like, design more programs or big, build, big buildings or, or elect more governance people or whatever? He said, no, hold fast to the gospel and don't give up on it ever. And that's what's going to make the church sustained and lively for all the years of his existence. See, church, we've reached a great milestone. We, we, not just me, we have worked hard to get here. Right? We showed up here knowing no one. And piece by piece, you've come together and you've invited other people into this. And we've become a great family and it is a wonderful experience. But we cannot 
simply be comfortable being a family together. It will feel good for a long time, but over time, we'll allow things to creep in that were never intended to be here. And so instead, as we reach this milestone, instead, as we hit this crossroads for our church, we need to decide what is next. And many of you have said to me, wow, we've reached accreditation. This is a wonderful time. What's next? Right? And in a normal situation, we could say things like, well, maybe we'll get a building. Or maybe we'll start new programs. Or maybe we'll hire more people or do all of these things. And what I want to tell you, church, is those things are all good things so long as they're a means to accomplishing a better thing. They are not ends. And unfortunately, many churches have pursued them like ends. What does Jesus say to the church at Sardis? He says, what's next? The gospel is next. And you might say, well, we've been talking about the gospel forever. What's next? The gospel is next. Right? We can't leave the gospel. We need it now more than ever. We need it in the next week more than we did the last week. And we'll need it in a year more than we did before. And we need to be the same people in the same church that has moved us to this place through the power of the Spirit and the, and the building work of Jesus. As we've always been. This is not a time for us to turn inward and say, we made it. Look at this. This is good. Let's be a church. I've got news for you. In so much as later tonight, the Christian Missionary Alliance will say we're a church, we have been a church since January 29th when three people showed up in my living room, Right? And we're going to keep doing the same stuff we've always done. See, vision is a big word in churches in the world today. I don't like it. You know why vision is is not the greatest thing? Because vision is man-made almost all of the time. And in many ways, the pastor is the guy who's supposed to show up and cast a vision. And that's wonderful in so much as that's really from God. What I believe is that God sends a vision for the church through the gospel that rises up from the people who love him. And so my job to you is not to convince you of some great next thing. My job is to encourage you to discover the next thing so I can equip you to be all that you need to be to live into it. And some of that's going to be together realities and some of that's going to be individual realities. And that's what it means to be a pastor. Listen, how do we move into this next phase? How do we double down? Well, what I would say to you is we need to keep being a family and never stop being a family. We are not a corporation. Our main goals will never be buildings or budgets or programs. We're not against any of those things in so much as they leverage us to Make the gospel known and move it forward. And we'll never function like a corporation. We're a family. But we have to be a family on mission. Right? A family on mission. And so we double down on who we are. We say that our identity is in being simply Jesus. That's who we know. That's what we know. That's what we want to make known. Right? We don't need to know and make known Sunday morning or know and make known Wednesday night or know and make known a future building or whatever it is. We need to know and make known Jesus. And if there's anything that can help us leverage that, we'll do it. We'll do it. 
And in the so doing, live into the four values that have defined us from the get-go. That we're people given to genuine connections. That we're people that share the stories that we've heard this morning. Where we're real, and we struggle together, and we celebrate together. We are genuinely connected one to another. We are a family. People who are given to casual depth. A place where you can be yourself and enter as you are, be accepted as you are, and be called to move into something greater than you ever believed you could be. But in the same way, we're also people who are given to gospel saturation. That is, that the gospel is constantly being brought to bear on every circumstance of life and our world. And as John so eloquently said earlier, we're people who are given to multiplication. And by that, we don't mean math facts. We mean reproducing ourselves. We mean seeing in other people things happen that have already happened in our lives. Because we love God and we love people. I love what Paul writes in Colossians. And really, this is our vision. It always has been. Really, this is what the church's vision should be in general. He says, He's one, He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is the vision of the church, right? This is what we're called to be as a church. We're people who are given everything we have, working with all of our effort, that everyone would know Jesus and grow in Him. C.S. Lewis uh, has written that the, the, the sole reason the church exists is that people would be brought into Christ and that they would be made into little Christs, right? Christians means little Christs. This is the sole reason the church exists. And so we, at this crossroads, can say either we can get insular and we can think about ourselves and we can move forward and we can just be comfortable, or we can say, no, the whole reason we've been brought together is that so we would grow in Christ and those around us would too. Paul's talking about the gospel. You know this. I know this. How do you be presented complete in Christ? It's the gospel. It's what Jesus has done. It's not what we can do. And so, church, we need to realize two things as we move forward together as a church, excuse me, as a family on mission. The first is that we need the gospel for ourselves. We haven't graduated in that category. We haven't passed any tests. We haven't passed any exams. We need the gospel for ourselves. We need to constantly be applying the gospel to our lives and to the lives of each other. This is what God's called us to do. This is what God has called us to be. A disciple is really someone who's learning to apply the gospel to every aspect of life. And while we can tell testimonies and share stories of the growth we've all experienced corporately and individually of the gospel winning the day in various parts of our lives, you know as well as I do that there are very many other parts of our lives where the gospel has yet to win. 
And we're trying to accomplish this through community groups and through smaller discipleship triads that are beginning to launch in our midst. These are places where you together with other friends and people you love and respect can gather together and can have the freedom to be real and to apply the gospel to each other's lives. We need to be people who gospel each other, right? That can't stop. You might say, well, isn't that what we've been doing? Yes. Then that's what we need to do? Yes. Right? We need to keep doing it. And in the same way, we need to bring the gospel to the world. At the end of the day, like this here, real truth together, church. At the end of the day, the church is not for you. Right? At the end of the day, the church is not for me. At the end of the day, the church is for God and for His glory. And the only way we know for His glory to increase is if more people give glory to Him. Right? And so the church then, we can say, is for God, and as it is for God, it then is for the world. That we actually have been called together as a family, not just so that we can enjoy the realities of family life together, but because there are many people out there who need to be brought into the family. That in the same way that you have experienced and tasted the love of God for you, unquenched, unconditional, loves you no matter what, loves you just as you are, in the same way that you've tasted that, and that you've been set free from the bounds of legalism, and set free from religion, and set free from morality, and set free from trying to create a life for yourself, and you're enjoying the love and the freedom of the gospel, at the core, church, it would be nothing other than selfish if we didn't share that with everyone around us. Luther says that the Heavenly Father has freely given us aid in Christ. And in the same way, He's called us to help those around us as Christ to them. This is why we're called together as a family. Not just to eat munchkins, not just to hear average preaching and fantastic music. Not, not, not just to sit in the most comfortable chairs on the planet. <laughs> not just to be able to set something up and tear it down all while squeezing in the middle a, ga- a worship gathering. Not just for 30 minutes of unadulterated time where your kids can be gospeled and you can just be sane for a few minutes, right? Not just for community groups in each other's houses. We are here because the world needs to know what we know. Right? And in so much as we love when, other pe- when people join us from other churches because they've been, they've been called or it's just not working there, or quite frankly, they need to hear the gospel and they've just been hearing religion. The truth of the matter is we are here because the Lehigh Valley has 820-some thousand people. And less than 3% of them know the gospel. So we can either decide at this crossroads that this is all about us and turn inside and get really comfortable. And that would be a great thing. Just trust me. I would like probably sign up for that in my flesh nine times out of ten. Or we can say, God has done a great thing in bringing us together so that we can be on mission in this valley for Him. Because 2.5% doesn't honor God. And we're going to do everything we can 
to push the numbers higher. In cooperation with all the great churches around here, and in so much as God has called us to do it. I want to do something, right? So I need your cooperation to make this happen. This is a little different than what we normally do. I'm going to ask you to get vocal, right? Legitimately not in your heads, but just like vocal, right? So I want you on the count of three, uh, you can shout this if you want. Like shouting is preferred, but if you just want to say it, that's okay. You just can't whisper. It's got to either be said or shouted, right, for it to work. On the count of three, I want you to, to shout out the name of your neighborhood, right? Get as specific as you can. Don't just say Bethlehem. Say West Bethlehem or Bethlehem Township or, you know, Northeast Allentown. I don't know how Allentown is broken up or Nazareth or whatever. You ready for this? Are we going to do this, church? Is this going to work? We'll try it. Ready? One, two, three. You want to know what the vision of our church is? You just said it. Right? On the count of three, I want you to yell out the street you live on. One, two, three. That's my vision. On the count of three, I want you to yell out the place where you work. One, two, three. That's our vision, church. Do you see it? We're called together as a family because God has uniquely put us in all of these places so that we can help each other be the witness of the Gospel that we're called to be. This is who we are. We get to do this together, right? We get to be what God has called us to be together. We get to enjoy caring for each other and celebrating with each other and mourning with each other and praying for each other and encouraging each other and loving to be together with each other so that we can embrace this mission together. This is what God's called us to. See, the future of God's church is not here. The present of God's church exists so that the future of God's church might exist. Right? And that is what we've been called to. We face a choice. We can either say, wow, we did it, and it was really hard work, and trust me, I know that you all have worked hard with me. Right? You've labored, you've squeezed into my living room, you've squeezed into a hotel, You've loaded your cars before we had a trailer. We've done unbelievable things together. And it would be so easy for us to simply say, this is good. And as today we say, this is good, I want to say to you, we got to keep doing what God has called us to do. Many of you might say, you know what, Adam, I hear this a lot. I know I've got to reach my neighbors. And I just want you to know, One, I don't know how to do it. Two, it's really hard, and so I don't think I'm going to do it. Right? Let's just be honest together. Because I think the same thing sometimes. Like, later on today, I'll be like, that was a good sermon, Adam. And then I'll also say, but you don't really expect me to do that, do you? (laughs) And then I'll say, no, no, just, just, just if you nod your head really good, I'll be good with that, right? It's hard. Like, I get it, you know? Your life is going a million miles a minute. You've got kids in activities, you're in activities, you've got tons of stress at work, and now I'm saying to you that, that your town and your street and your work is our vision as a church. And let me just try to ease the stress on you for a minute. We are not sending you out two by two to knock on doors, right? I do not have some well-written tract for you to take and try to convince someone to follow Jesus, I simply want you to redeem your current commitments. 
redeem them. You say to me, oh, I would love to reach those around me, but you don't understand. I, I'm taking my daughter to Girl Scouts and my son to Boy Scouts, and then they're taking swimming lessons, and I'll say, well, neighbor, 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 redeem it. What are you doing at Boy Scouts? You don't have to take your kid out of Boy Scouts so that you can try to win your neighborhood to Jesus. Be present at Boy Scouts in the place that God has put you. Right? Redeem your commitments the clubs you're part of, the circle of friends you're with. Live into those realities. That's what it means. And secondly, I'm calling us as a church to create and to engage in places of intersection. Places where the church meets people who aren't part of the church. Let's just tell, them, tell, tell each other an honest truth for a minute, right? The chances of people who aren't interested in church coming to a Sunday morning thing are slim and none, right? We get that. We know what statistics tell us. That's why we're called to be a family on mission. They aren't coming here. We go there. See it? And so we need to look and be, be thoughtful about these places of intersection where we can be what God has called us to be together as a family while intersecting with those who are far from God. The ladies of our church do a great job at this. Like, simple things. I apologize, ladies, if I'm going to demean your activities. You got together to color. Is this correct? This happened. The ladies of the church, they gathered to color with crayons and coloring books. This happened at our church. Right? And also part of it were plenty of people who don't come to our church. And relationships were made. And engagements were gathered. And friends that Rachel brought said, every time you invite me to something, I meet the most wonderful people. That's the gospel. That's loving the people around you. That's engaging in intersections because you love that. It is not forcing someone to convert to a faith they're not ready for. It is not trying to convince them that Sunday morning doesn't feel like church. You know? It's finding the intersections and gathering. So my commitment to you as we go forward in the next year is we're going to work as hard as we can to create intersection points for you in the places that you just announced rather than right here, so that you can invite people into those realities and invite yourself into them. In the same way, church, we must be people who give what we call come and see invitations. The disciples came to follow Jesus because other disciples said, hey, I met this guy, and you got to meet him. And they left the decision up to the disciples that were going to come. In the same way, it is not our job to convince people of what they should do. But it is our job to say to them, I'm experiencing something really different at this place called Hope. And maybe you should check it out. And if they say, you know, forget it, you say, okay. And if they say maybe, you say, okay. And if they say yes, you say, great. Right? Or you say, you know what? I never knew what community was until I started meeting with these people on Friday night at John and Jen Davies' house. You should come check it out. Come and see invitations are how we move forward. It's how we bring the kingdom together and we get to do it together. There was a town called Sardis. And it was so defensible that no one could ever conquer it. That they began to have parties and turn inside and just care for themselves. And they traded mission for comfort. And one by one, an attacking army 
slithered up the walls unnoticed and overtook the town. As we celebrate today, as we celebrate tonight, my call is the same call as Jesus did to the church at Sardis. Hold fast to the things that brought us together. We will love the gospel and we will love each other and we'll be on mission together. Can I pray with you?